Do you want a politically incorrect gateway to a real history education? Then go to mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 162. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Been a couple of weeks, so I'm back. Before we get started, just want to remind you to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan, to like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan, and of course, subscribe to me on YouTube at Brian McClanahan. Go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. At the top of the page, you'll find a way to give me an email address. You give me that email address, and I will give you a free ebook. Forgotten Founders in American History, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can also support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. And I've got another way to support the show. Please to announce, of course, if you're on my email list, you already would have known this, but I've got my newest McClanahan Academy class, The War for Southern Independence. It's a class you wanted. And now you've got it. In fact, it's going to be the topic of this podcast. But before we get there, I want to wrap up all this stuff. So mclanahanacademy.com. You can go there. You've now got three courses you can purchase. One on secession, one on Hamilton, and now one on the war. That is, it's a substantial course. So I'll talk about it here in a minute. You can also support the Brian McClanahan Show by going to redbubble.com. And you can do a search for my name at redbubble.com. You can buy your Brian McClanahan Show gear, t-shirts, uh, electronic device covers, stationaries, even a wall clock, all kinds of cool stuff. So go out to redbubble.com and get that stuff. But um, let's talk about the McClanahan Academy course, the War for Southern Independence. So first of all, I want to let you know this podcast is going out on June 6th. I've got a deal for you. Until June 13th, June 13th. Listeners to this podcast can get a good deal. If you go to mclanahanacademy.com and you click on that class, The War for Southern Independence, and you're going to want to click on it after this podcast, I know it. You put the coupon code LAUNCH, L-A-U-N-C-H. You get the class for $41 off. For $109, bucks. you get the class. This is only good until the end of the day, June 13th. That's Eastern Time. End of the day, June 13th. So till June 13th, 11.55 p.m. Eastern Time, you can get the class for $41 off. But not just that. I've got a couple other deals for you. I've actually slashed the other two classes, the price in half. So you've got uh, 50% off of my secession class. Again, if you use the coupon code half off, H-A-L-F-O-F-F, half off, you can get that class for 50% off. And you can get... The Hamilton class for half price as well. So that one's now only $36. So the secession class is 15 The Hamilton class is 36 And that one is half off. H-A-L-F-O-F-F. So launch for the war class and then half off for the other two. You get the launch class for 109 bucks or the war class for 109 bucks, And you get the other two for half off. And there's a lot more McClanahan Academy stuff coming. Okay, by July, you're going to see a lot more stuff. So you're going to want to sub- you want at least subscribe to McClanahan Academy. It's free to do that. All you got to do is just click enroll on the main page. You don't have to pay a, a dime for that. But you've got these three classes now. And if you're a McClanahan Academy subscriber, you will get advance notice of these classes and a better deal. So um, just keep that in mind when you sign up. 
Uh, so when the class comes out, advance notice. So you want to enroll in McClanahan Academy. Uh, but get those classes. Launch for the war class half off. So let's talk about this war class. And I want to, I want to talk about it in a way that um, gives you an idea of why I did this. Now, I'm sure that you're familiar with this because uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you know my positions on the war, I'm sure. And, of course, you probably have similar ideas. Maybe you don't. But I hear it all the time. You know, McClanahan, why do you care about a war that happened in 18, ended in 1865? It's long gone. We won. The North won. Get over it. Almost like, you know, I mean, if uh, I'm offended by that. Uh, well, I kind of am. But anyways, uh, this, is, this is the common retort to anyone who's really interested in the war. They think it's over. Uh, why do you care about something that ended in 1865? Why do you care about something that happened 150 years ago? Uh, it's old news. Let's get on with it. Well, I tell my students all the time when I, when I teach 202 or you know U.S. History 2, the second half of that particular course, whatever it is at your college or university, you know, the second half of American history really is current events. And the end of the war has produced so much that is current events, you have to understand the war. It really is the watershed moment in American history. It's the turning point. It's when the United States goes from a federal republic to a national republic and then to an empire. And there's so much about this that's important. So much about it. And so I want to talk about that a little bit today why I produce this class, and why you should care about the war. Because you should. And it's not just about battles and buttons and cannons and muskets, because a lot of people are interested in that with the war, whether the military historians or, you know, they're interested in, uh, you know, my, my great-great-grandfather fought uh, in this uh, particular regiment during the war, and I'm proud of him. I mean, that's great. That's great stuff. And, and on both sides, it's great. You're proud of your family for fighting for the Union, or you're proud of your family for fighting for the Confederacy, whatever it is. But the war has a lasting impact on so many different political, economic, and social issues in America that you can't get around it. We went from one America, an old America, a Jeffersonian, Washington America, to a Lincolnian America. It was a transformation. And so because of that, we have a political climate now that... The progressives can't seem to forget the war. I mean, look at everything that's happening, and, and, and I've talked about it on this podcast. Of course, if you listen to my other podcasts, the Abbeville Institute podcast, you know that I talk about Southern stuff all the time. But it's important to understand how this war affects us today, because it does every single day. You have news stories about it all the time, whether it's Confederate symbols that are under attack, whether it's Confederate monuments that are under attack, whether it's the ideas that were behind the war, state nullification, secession, those things, uh, whether it's the political economy of the United States, people don't realize that, or the simple structure, the federal structure that's disappeared because of the war. All of this stuff matters. I want to read you a, a quote from something that uh, somebody showed me on social media or put it on social media, said that I should debate this guy. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't want to debate this guy because I've known him for years. He is a first-class jerk, uh, and I don't know him personally, but I've known him on, on him, about him on social media for probably a decade now or, or longer. Uh, first-class jerk, uh, someone who is uh, an open. He's an open Marxist. Uh, the guy is um, he, and he, and he's he's uh, gleeful about it. I mean, he, I mean, yeah, you call me a social. I called him a socialist one time years ago. And, oh yeah, so what? So what's new? Uh, everything to him is race, class, gender. 
And this is why the war matters to these people, because they think that we have a section of America that were a bunch of Nazis, even though the descendants of Confederates were fighting in large numbers against the Nazis in the war, and the Confederate flag was flown against the Nazis. But, you know, that doesn't matter to them. They, they think, oh, I mean, it's just, oh, well, these people are Nazis. So it's just so stupid. I mean, that's how stupid these people are. But this is what uh, this guy wrote on social media. He said, the problem, quote, the problem is that when you actually study race, gender, sexuality, and class, it's almost impossible to remain a conservative. Because someone said that conservatives are disappearing in, in the historical profession. His, his mind, well, because I study history, I cannot be a conservative. Um, and I remember I had a professor at the University of South Carolina say this exact same thing. The exact same thing when I was in a seminar with him. He was actually the chair of the department at the time. But he said the exact same thing. We were going over uh, what he thought was a balanced course because he threw in a couple of uh, conservative thinkers, neoconservative thinkers, but he threw them into the course. And uh, he said, well, because I read history, I'm, I'm, I'm on the left. I'm a progressive. That's why. You see, this is, this is groupthink. This is groupthink from these progressives. And they really believe that they're on the cutting edge. They really believe that what they do is dissident. It's, it's on the edge. They are just sticking it to the man. What they don't realize is that the entire United States has adopted their ideas. I mean, you pick your corporation. This is corporate America now, these positions. This is everything that America has become. And they think they're on the edge of this stuff. That, uh, you know, they're out there and they're really telling it to the man and they're, they're, they're preaching, uh, you know, a, a modern agenda, modern, uh, you know, uh, activist agenda that's completely alien to mainstream America. What they don't realize is their ideas are mainstream America. And when you go out and you start talking about the war in a way that's different from that, you find that out very quickly. Um, most people don't have the guts to do it. They won't go out and start talking about the war and, and be objective in the war. They actually give the South a fair shake. What were the principles of secession? Was this even legal? Now, there's a, there's a book out now on Jefferson Davis, and um, I'll be reviewing it at some point in the near future. Uh, but it's about his his trial for treason or the trial that never happened. And it's what, written by a woman. Her name is Nicoletti, her last name is. And um, it's it's an interesting book. There's some stuff in it that um, she really gets into the weeds with some of the really uh, intricate history of, of, the, uh, of the potential trial. But the first chapter of the book, all she does is apologize for actually doing the topic because she understands. Now... And she goes out of her way to say, I don't believe these Southerners. I don't believe anything they say. I, I mean, these people are abhorrent. They're awful. Uh, I don't believe secession. I don't believe in all this stuff. Basically pleading. It's pleading. Please hire me for a job because I don't believe this stuff. And that's, that's a sad commentary on the state of the historical profession. But that's where we are. So when you go and take your history class at your college or university and you pay an exorbitant amount of money for it, too much, uh, you know, generally if you're an in-state student, if you're at a community college, you're going to pay $500 or more for this class, uh, for a class like this. And they won't even offer a class like this at a community college. But that's how much a college class costs at a community college, somewhere around there. If you go to university to get it, it doesn't matter what university you're talking about. Um, even state schools, you're going to pay probably a couple of grand at least to take a class like this. If you're out of state, you're talking about five grand or more. And if you go to an Ivy League school or something, you're talking about exponential amount of money. So I give you this class for 109 bucks, and this is a college-level course. One that you're not going to get because if you go take those classes there, you're going to get a professor giving you the James McPherson version, Eric Foner. 
It's all about the righteous cause mythology. The North was waging a righteous cause to end slavery, and in fact, this is what people think. There was a University of Virginia newspaper article by a student not long ago that said the war was all about the moral issue of slavery. It's so untrue. The war was not about that at all, not even close. So what I get into in this particular class is all of that. I talk about the complexities of the war, the issues leading into it, the political, economic, social issues leading into it, get into demographics. I get into the big uh, issues that are um, sensitive, like the issue of abolition or pro-slavery and these type of things, um, where I really try to, to explain both sides. And when you look at the issue of race and slavery, for example, that's not a Southern institution, both of those things. And as I explained very carefully in the course, uh, racism was an American problem. It, pro-slavery was an American institution. This is what the most important book written on the topic in the 1980s said. But And I remember being assigned that book in graduate school, but I had a colleague of mine tell me the other day, I don't even know if they're assigned this book much anymore. Um, so you get that in the course. You get the, the southern side of the war. You get the northern side of the war, too, and I talk about that, what they were trying to do. And I get into the battle, battles and leaders, but it's the, the important part of the war and the last presentation of the course is why the war matters. So I'm giving you some of that stuff. I don't want to steal all my thunder. I'm going to give you a little bit of that as I go through this in the next few minutes. Um, but that is why I want to do this course, because it still matters in 2018. The war still matters as people conceptualize themselves as Americans uh, and where they are in society and what that means. What does being an American mean? What do, what do all these things mean? As they, as they think about those concepts and they think about what it means to live in America in 2018, what are our American symbols? Well, let's start with one of the most important, Lincoln. You're not going to get in this course a deification of Abraham Lincoln. There's no way I could do it. I give Lincoln some credit for a couple of things. And I think Lincoln, I mean, the general consensus on Lincoln is had Lincoln survived April 14, 1865, uh, the process of Reconstruction may have been different. And this might have been true, but you see it doesn't matter because the myth of Lincoln is more important. If you watch Spielberg's Lincoln, at the, when they get into the Hampton Roads Peace Conference, supposedly, according to Steven Spielberg, Lincoln produced the 13th Amendment and said, this is, this, this is not negotiable. But yet, when you read the real history of the Hampton Roads Peace Conference, you find that the issue was negotiable. In fact, Lincoln was willing to put it off. He was willing to push back emancipation for years, if necessary, five years, if the South had rejoined the Union by April of 1861. And he was willing to try to get the Congress to pay about $400 million to compensate slave owners for their slave property. That's not in Spielberg's Lincoln. And Lincoln, it's, it's thought, was trying to actually forge a new party. He was going to break with the Republicans because the radicals in the party, the radical Republicans, which I get into in the course, were driving the Republican Party in a direction Lincoln didn't particularly care for. Uh, and he was going to try to forge this conservative, kind of a moderate party that's comprised of uh, conservative Republicans, maybe some more moderate Southerners, people like Alexander H. Stevens, who were all Whigs, basically was going to try to form a Whig party again. And that Whig party was going to drive American policy. They were going to be in agreement on economic issues. And, of course, the issue of slavery would be postponed 
for a number of years until they could work this out, have some type of compensated emancipation, have some type of program where slaves could be integrated into society, or, or not. I mean, Lincoln was in favor of colonization. So the myth of Lincoln, it's Lincoln in Washington, D.C., the Lincoln Memorial sitting in the chair with the fasces under his hands, uh, the, the bundle of rods, which symbolizes the imperium or the civil and military power. It's Lincoln, the demigod. Because when you go to that temple, I mean, basically you're going to uh, the Parthenon. I mean, that's what that's what the Lincoln Memorial is. It's the Parthenon. If you think about what the Parthenon represented in ancient ancient Greece, it was the temple to Athena, the goddess of wisdom. It was the city goddess of Athens. Lincoln is the city god of Washington D.C. It is a deification of the state and of an individual a living individual, not, not a make-believe goddess, but a living individual. And the same thing, it's, you go there and you're supposed to have some type of reverence for this guy, like you would if you're walking into the, to the temple dedicated to Athena. And think about it, the similarities, to the, the temple to Athena, the goddess of wisdom, Lincoln, the god of wisdom in America, the god who bequeathed to us a different understanding of the Declaration of Independence, one that was alien to even what Jefferson said, the document meant. But that's that's why the war matters, because you get this image of Lincoln as a martyr, and people talked about it. You know, Thoreau talked about it. Emerson talked about it. On down the line, people talked about how Lincoln, the martyr, was more powerful than Lincoln, the man. So if what you want is a centralized state, American state, a United State, not the United States, but a United State, a progressive United State with a neo-mercantilist economy. Now, see, the left, they don't, they don't really talk about that neo-mercantilism a whole lot. Um, they, they criticize it, but, I mean, again, it's corporate America's on their side on all the things they're doing. It's not against them. Just look at what happens if you uh, are, are, have corporate sponsors and you say something they don't like, even sneeze the wrong way, well, you lose your corporate sponsors. Uh, so... The market works well. The, the state market works well with the, uh, with the progressives. But this is what you want, a constitution that doesn't matter. Then Lincoln's your guy. And that image of America, a, an image of a new America, and this is what the Republicans talked about. You know, they're, they're, making a, they're remaking America. They're having a new America. It's what Obama said in 2009 when he took office. That's the important thing about it. And you look at the composition of the armies in the war. The North, with a almost a majority of its soldiers being either foreign-born or the direct, the first generation of foreign-born parents. So you have this immigrant army, almost in a way, uh, in, the, in the United States, whereas it's nothing like that in the South. You have an army in the North that is comprised of all near 50% farmers, but less than 50% are farmers, uh, whereas in the South it's 70% farmers. So you've got two different Americas going to war with each other, Two different societies, two different views on government. Of course, that's the whole point of the war anyways. It's about power. Who's going to control the government? And the South made it clear that independence was their primary goal, nothing else. They were willing to fight and die for independence. And in fact, they were willing to give up slavery at one point for independence. That's often not, not discussed. So this Lincolnian America is more important today. The memory of Lincoln. I mean, you look at Lincoln's everywhere. He has become the symbol of America. 
He is the American God in his Parthenon in Washington, D.C. So what do we really have? I mean, the war on our memory, and of course, one of the things that uh, has become important or interesting for historians is memory studies, which is really just history. But um, what you have, of course, are two different conflicting views of the war. One is the lost cause, which is now used as pejorative. The other is a righteous cause, which should be used as a pejorative. I think lost cause used unjustifiably as a pejorative. Righteous cause should be used as a pejorative because the righteous cause is more of a myth than the lost cause. You could find Southerners that would say, I'm fighting for the principles of 1776. I'm fighting for the original Constitution. My gosh, they talked about adopting it to the letter and calling themselves the United States of America. There was actually a proposal to do that, and then the United States would be the United States of North America. They were saying, we're the real Americans. We should be the Republic of Washington. They're the aliens. So if nothing else, the righteous cause, as Lincoln said from the beginning, it's, it's a false narrative. And you look at Confederate symbols and memorials, of course, constantly under attack. Even, even the monument to the Buffalo Soldier, which are African Americans who fought in the Indian Wars, they're now being uh, destroyed or vandalized because they fought against American Indian tribes, uh, all saying that they're racist. I mean, uh, it's, it's, the, the left is consuming its own. But Confederate memorials and symbols were built. Why? Because they're honoring the fact that 85% of the South, of the white South, fought in the war. And that close to 40% of those individuals were killed or wounded. That is a tremendous drag on a people, on a demographic group. And of course, the economy was destroyed. There was a tremendous amount of mourning. People wore black for years. There were no smiling faces in the South. There was nothing in the South that would show that these people were living it up when the war is over. Nothing much changed in the North. So the South was defeated. In fact, it's the, the Southerners are the only people in American history who have been defeated like this. And people wonder why the war still matters in the South. Uh, it's bigger than losing the national championship the first time you get there and then never going back. Uh, it's bigger than that. You lost your whole society in so many different ways. Uh, so it's, it's a huge deal for Southerners. And even in, in the North, it was a big deal because so many Northerners were killed too. But the impact on government, the impact on society, the impact on political economy, uh, you know, do we still have federalism in America? Well, no. And, and, I, and I look at, uh, there was a, uh, George Will was invited to uh, speak to the United States Constitution Center. And the topic was the 17th Amendment. And they asked, uh, uh, Mr. Will, do you think the 17th Amendment should be repealed? Why, yes, I think it should be. Uh, and uh, 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 I think it should be repealed because uh, you, you've told me that. And, uh, I'm for all things that are, uh, you know, uh, controversial. Yeah, right. Uh, number one, that's that made me laugh. But number two, they asked him, they said, well, where, are states' rights dead? I mean, is federalism, is it dead, essentially? No, no, it's not dead. It's on life support. It's, it's just barely hanging on. But, uh, you know, the thing that killed it was the 16th Amendment. <laughs> and I started laughing out loud when I heard this because the thing that killed federalism was the war. But these people are Lincoln. They're Lincoln lovers. They can't see that their hero, their city god, Abraham Lincoln, killed federalism. It killed the federal republic. So I get into that in the class. How all these ideas, federalism, state power, nullification, secession, treason, all these things 
are still so important. The lasting legacy of the war is that we still have not come to grips with what those things actually mean and come to define them and, and understand them. We still are arguing over these things today because you have groups like the 10th Amendment Center that push nullification, real federalism. And every now and then you have a politician that talks about real federalism, um, and, and they'll give lip service to it. Uh, we have the Supreme Court case that just took place where the Colorado bakery is now not required to bake cakes for same-sex marriages or same-sex unions or whatever you want to call it. Not allowed to do that or don't have to do that anymore because the Supreme Court stepped in and said Colorado law is, is unconstitutional. Well, that's a violation of federalism. In fact, the proper decision would have been said that the federal court has no jurisdiction in the matter, that this was um, a state issue. That would have been the proper decision. Uh, but this is a corporation run amok because they're actually ruling based on the First Amendment. This is not about property. I mean, if you want to look at it about property, that uh, this is a violation of the property rights of the bakers to say what they can and cannot do with their property. The cake is their property. If they don't want to sell it to you, they don't have to. If they don't want to bake you one, you, I mean, you can't force somebody to do something for you. That's... Basically, what you're saying then is they're your, they're your slave. And, of course, that's the 13th Amendment. I mean, I would have been more agreeable to that position than saying this is a freedom of religion issue. No, it's your property. And if somebody can force you to do something with your property that you don't want to do, you don't have property anymore. But because of the war and because of the ultimate outcome of the war, which is centralization, nationalization of everything, and that would eventually produce incorporation, not, in, not immediately, but it would, uh, as we move forward into time, this becomes this type of issue. It's a, it's a byproduct of the war. One nation, indivisible. All of that is a byproduct of the war. So, federalism is destroyed by the war. The South is destroyed by the war. The, the South is impoverished. I go through the course and I talk about how wealthy the South was before the war. Tremendously wealthy section. After the war, not so much. And I know somebody said, well, you got it. That's because you're counting slaves. And No, there's been a lot of research done to show that Southerners overall were not impoverished people before the war. Slaveholders and non-slaveholders alike. You got to remember only 25% of Southern families on slaves and only 5% were actually legal slave owners. So 95% of the population were not slave owners. But of course, one of the other issues is minorities in America. What role they would have in America. And that is something you can say. Well, I mean, the war ended slavery, which is good. But uh, how did it end it? And did it have to end that way? Could it have ended a different way? Could it have been peaceful? Could, have, could, it have, could we have avoided some of the ill effects of the way the issue ended? And, of course, that's when you get into Lincoln and the Hampton Roads Conference and what he was actually talking about. But uh, the creation of an American nation uh, and the reconciliation uh, that would take place between, between North and South. And not everyone was on board with this. Of course, you had a lot of Southerners that were very bitter. But generally, reconciliation was the order of the day. And now that's even, that's even a bad word in the historical profession. You can't talk about pro-reconciliation. You can't say, you know, I think Booker T. Washington was right. Oh, no, you can't say that. I think the reconciliationists are right. No, no, you can't say that. That is just being uh, completely insensitive to all of the issues around Reconstruction and the war. I mean, that's that's the current consensus in the historical profession from guys like this idiot who thinks that everything is race, class, gender. 
But to Booker T. Washington, cast down your buckets where you are meant something. The Southerners who were trying to build Southern railways like Samuel Spencer, the Southerners who were interested in getting out of poverty, that meant something. But to modern-day historians who live in worlds of ideas and abstractions, that means nothing. It means nothing. So this is the problem, I think, with the modern historical profession. They're disconnected from reality so often. I mean, they just don't, they don't understand. Uh, they really exist. The, the world exists. This is the transcendentalist in them all. The, the world exists between their two ears, and that's it. And if it doesn't fit that worldview, well, then the world is bad. And it's just an appalling situation to be in. And I, I had another person uh, tell me online that um, through social media that uh, they had used one of my books for a paper and their professor said that I was too controversial to be cited as a source. I mean, when does this happen? I never had a professor tell me that source is too controversial. Never. But this is what passes for academic thought today, that you cite a book and that book becomes too controversial. Well, I mean, then explain how it's too controversial, but apparently this professor wasn't willing to do it because they couldn't because all they did was look at the book and my name, and they thought, oh, well, this guy's controversial, so we can't. I, I'm going to tell the student, don't use that book. But yet, they could probably use Eric Foner, who's a card-carrying Marxist. Or many of the other professors in history, professional historians, who are Marxists as well, and have some pretty out-there views. In my opinion, it's all about perception. And the war is all about perception. But the war matters because of all the issues that are wrapped up in it. They still matter today. And that's why I wanted to do this course for you. I, I took it, it was a labor of love. It was a very difficult course to put together. Uh, you get 25 lectures, 12 hours of, of uh, material, 12 hours of lectures, uh, 200 pages of lecture notes. You can download all of that stuff. Listen to it in your car, audio and video files. This course would cost you thousands at a university, but you get it for 109 bucks till June 13th. After that point, it does go up to its full price of 150 bucks, but you're not going to want to miss this deal. So when you go out to McClanahanAcademy.com, which I hope you will do right after you listen to this podcast, you go out to McClanahanAcademy.com and you put you put the class in your in your cart there, and you give the coupon code Launch, and you get it for 109 bucks. And if you do half off for the other two classes, H A L F O F F. One word. If you do that for the other two classes, you got those for half price, $15 and $36. You can't beat it. You can't beat it. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope you have the same kind of interest in the war that I have. And maybe you don't at this point, but you take the class and you get that interest because it really what it's really what made me much more interested in, in uh, history was the war itself and the, the ideas surrounding the war. Not the, not the battles of the war, but the ideas surrounding the war. And uh, it's, it's one of the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing today. So I hope to see you next time on the Brian McClanahan Show. Uh, and I hope to be getting back to uh, at least one a week, if not two a week in the near future. So uh, this is the, as, as, after I finish this class, I'll be back on track. So I'll see you on the next episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. <laughs>